0: So, welcome everybody to the pilot episode of what I presume we're going to call the Field Guide to Canadiana. We didn't have a full on discussion about the title yet. Field Guide uh, to Canadiana
1: sounds fine. I just have to, all right. that just means I have to rename the category group I already made on my WordPress.
0: <laughs> uh, my name is Derek Gade, and joining me is uh, my friend and fellow Canadian, Matt Ribeiro. Say hi, Matt. Hello. So, uh, the idea of the show is uh, well, we want to, we're both Canadians. We are both residents of Canada, and uh, as with any country, there are particularities and uh, oddities that comprise our culture that uh, might have parallels in other countries, but might not necessarily uh, have the kind of, like, presence, and uh, or at least presence in the collective consciousness of the rest of the world. Like, everyone knows uh, a Justin Bieber or... Or even a James Cameron, but we want to talk about the other shit that people might not know about uh, about our country. That is,
1: I mean, I feel like to a certain point we're gonna get into things that people are aware of, but maybe with just a, like a larger and broader social, political, cultural context. Because mm-hmm. like everyone knows what Putin is at this point, but we're definitely gonna talk about it.
0: We are gonna talk about Putin. Uh, But we're not talking about poutine today. Today we'll be talking about uh, a little rock and roll band from Kingston, Ontario, called The Tragically Hip. And uh, It's kind of a bummer that we're talking about The Hip now, because they are a front page of all all the Canadian newspapers, because, uh, well, not for... Not for exactly a happy reason.
1: <laughs> Definitely not.
0: No. Uh, well, well, we'll get to that. Uh, so we're just going to lay out some stats, and then we're going to start talking about the hip proper. So, the Tragically Hip, Canadian rock and roll band founded in the great city of Kingston, Ontario, in 1984. Uh, members of the band are Gord Downie, lyricist, singer, uh, occasional guitar, Paul Langlois on guitar, Rob Baker on lead guitar, Gord Sinclair on bass, johnny Fay on drums and between 84 and 86 one davis manning on saxophone
1: i mean right right out the gate it's really clear like how stable this band has always been Mm -hmm. like you get into a lot of rock bands and you look at their their history and you can find like a good 25 members scattered across its history centered around usually the singer or whoever the primary songwriter is you know that central fixed point We still have the central fixed point, but we have, you know, four other central fixed points around him at all times.
0: Yeah, the only other bands that I can come up with off the top of my head that had the same members for as long are Rush and ZZ Top. Uh, They've had basically the same lineup since 1986. 13 studio albums, the last one of which, called Man Machine Poem, just just dropped a few days ago. Uh, They have nine number one records in Canada. They're not very popular anywhere else, maybe in, like, the northern part of the Midwest in the United States. But this is really just a Canadian phenomenon. How much of a Canadian phenomenon are these guys? Well, they've won 14 Juno Awards over the course of their career. That's our version of the Grammys. That's a lot, and that's the ones they've won. That's not counting the ones they've been nominated for.
1: Mind you, um, referring to them as the Canadian Grammys is both um – A statement of importance and also a statement of generally how worthless they are in the culture, uh, how worthless that is in the cultural conversation. Let's not put too much stock in the Junos.
0: No, but it's, it's weird because I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this a little later that they are a massively successful band in terms of just sales, but they're also critical favorites, popular favorites as well.
1: Yeah, like, like generally people just have good things to say about them. Um, or they have nothing all at all to say about them. But we'll get into that when we get into, like, more personal experiences about them.
0: We will. Uh, Just how popular are these guys in Canada? Uh, Their first four records uh, are as follows. Up to here, Diamond Certified. Fully, completely, Diamond Certified. Road Apples, Octuple Platinum, and Day for Night, Sextuple Platinum. Now, I say this... For comparison's sake, Rush, arguably the most successful Canadian band on the interna- on an international scale of all time, their highest selling album in Canada was Moving Pictures, and it was certified quadruple platinum in 1990.
1: That's nowhere close to Octuple, by last I Nowhere
0: counted. close. So, do not underestimate how just phenomenally popular and ingrained in uh, the Canadian consciousness these guys are.
1: And you know, it's, it's it's it almost seems like sometimes that uh, the fact that they're so ingrained in the Canadian consciousness and not ingrained in the American consciousness makes it almost more appealing to Canadians. Uh,
0: there, yeah, there's a kind of dog whistle thing where something that is immensely popular here and absolutely nowhere else makes us like that thing more.
1: Yeah, that's a very Canadian thing. Just the idea of liking something for it being popular here. It's kind of a, it's a it's like a, it's a feedback loop.
0: Uh, well, then we can get into conversations about CanCon and about um, our decades-long quest to try to find what exactly, quote, Canadian culture is, especially in relation to American culture. Because let's face it, the hip play a very American Music. I mean, this is her barroom riff-heavy rock and roll when they started out.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like uh, it—the fact that it references a lot of like minutiae of Canadian life, uh, rural Canadian culture—is doesn't make it musically or, I guess, artistically different than similar Americana would be. Like, it's just different minutiae.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, uh, I read somewhere—I forget where—I think. I think it was uh, an all-music guide review of one of their records, I forget which one, that the hip were the bastard child of the Rolling Stones and R.E.M.
1: I mean, I used to definitely confuse R.E.M. with the hip when I was younger and had, like, a less distinguished musical ear. I can can see Gord Downey and Michael Stipe being considered to have similar voices.
0: Well, there's also the sort of uh, elliptical lyrics and the sort of... um, there's not, there's an emphasis on lyrics and lyricism, but there's not exactly an emphasis on the person's actual singing of them. Like, there's a, often in a hip song, as in an R.E.M. song, especially their early stuff is, uh, like, the lyric, the, the the vocals aren't necessarily buried, but they're definitely fighting for attention.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially, like, I, I could see that for sure on, uh, on Up To Here, more than anything else, uh, because they drown it in... Loud, over loud guitars, which are annoyingly panned to the sides.
0: Yeah, I know you had a problem with like uh, the a guitar in each ear while listening on the headphones. It is
1: extremely disorienting. I don't know how that was like <laughs> a trend for years. Um, I think that's just sort of a
0: holdover of the 70s and like, shit, we don't have the budget for a quadraphonic recording or something. Let's just fuck with the headphones because Pink Floyd did it, so let's do it even though... We're not trying to connote anything psychedelic. This is cool. Whatever.
1: It almost just seems like they got into a studio and, and like, you know, they recorded their stuff, and then the producer was just like, well, I'm going to do something with this. <laughs> the last goal we ever scored. One the They didn't.
0: Uh, so how about we start talking about our personal experiences with it? we already kind of started with, like, the listening of Up To Here?
1: Yeah, well, I I did a a full re-listen to it when we were originally going to record this episode, like, two months ago. (laughs)
0: Up To Here? Maybe a bit overrated as a record.
1: (laughs) There's some good songs on it, like, I'll give them that, but I mean, there's also a lot of not great songs on it. No,
0: there's a there's but there's a there's a handful of classics on there. There's the two big ones, which are Blow It High Doe and New Orleans is Sinking, which are probably the most played songs on Canadian classic rock radio.
1: Like if you just had the straight numbers for that, I would say that New Orleans is Sinking is probably the top one. Just ever. It's there. It's yeah. got the spot.
0: And um and then there's uh, stuff like Boots or Hearts, which is sort of the the folksier side of the hip, which gets progressive, which progressively sort of starts sort of engulfing the band the older they get.
1: Yeah, I didn't I, I didn't particularly care for Boots or Hearts. I think it's nice. Let's skip to 38 years old already.
0: Well, that, that's an that's an awesome song too, and that's part of that's one of the exemplary Gord Downey tells a story songs. One of the great one of the great this could have been a great country song songs.
1: Yeah, and then they just added two years of it and made a Steve Carell movie out of it. <laughs> right. Because he's thirty-eight years old, never kissed a girl.
0: Right. Ugh.
1: I was making a bad joke, Derek. Come on. Yeah,
0: I know you're making a bad joke, man. You're harshing, you're harshing my vibe on this, on this, on this pilot episode of the pod, man.
1: That's all I got to do is I'm, I'm going to harsh your, your your vibe of telling it like it is, and I'll tell it like it isn't.
0: So you're just going to lie? You're just going to... It's like, oh, Gord Downey once you know wrestled a bear and won.
1: I mean, he probably yeah. did. I wouldn't doubt uh, that.
0: Uh, if by any chance some some young up-and-coming Canadian band is listening to this, please write a song about Gord Downey wrestling a bear.
1: I mean, I, I want kind of like a whole album of everyone writing their own version of Gord Downey wrestling a bear.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Uh... Uh, can can we talk uh two seconds about the about just uh Canadian albums we want to have like ha- have happened? Just take two minutes because I got a thing. What do you mean? Well, usually we're talking about like sort of just a joking about oh someone should make a like a collab album about Gord Downley wrestling the bear. Um, I've li- actually got a literal thing that I wanted to have happened three years ago. Uh, because three years ago. If my math is correct, four years ago, uh, the Bare Naked Ladies album Gordon turned uh, 20.
1: Yeah, that w- would have been four years ago. And
0: there was no, you know, sometimes they get like, like up and coming bands or what other bands to like do an album cover. Yeah. Like they get, that didn't fucking happen for that record. And that's horse shit.
1: It's, well yeah it's it, that's it, that is kind of weird but i mean like bare naked ladies have had like kind of a complicated thing going since stephen page left but i'm i'm sure that has time for its own episode i, uh,
0: I think you know, bare naked ladies could have their own episode i think stephen page alone could have
1: his own episode oh absolutely
0: because oh man that's that that that's a lot of shit to parse
1: there's a lot to cover there i mean i i went to one of his uh he's he had like a a countrywide tour about mental illness, and I went to his Sudbury stop on it. It was very, very good, but also very, very depressing.
0: Yeah, it's got to be like just raw nerves and uh, uncomfortable laughter. Oh yeah, I would imagine.
1: He he relishes in uncomfortable laughter. He lives for it.
0: <laughs> ah, but we're not here to talk about Steve uh, Stephen Page's mental illness. We're here to talk about the Tragically Hip. So, Matt, what is your personal experience? Your personal relationship? With the hip
1: My time with the hip was mostly uh, Through my childhood It was played constantly in cars, on the radio Of course on the radio Because it's every second song played on the local rock station But also we had every single Tragically Hip CD Because my dad, even though even when he won't listen to them Will buy every new Tragically Hip album As it comes out uh, Because he happened to work As a waiter with Bobby Baker at The Keg in Kingston
0: <laughs> That's really cool <laughs>
1: He hasn't told, like, many stories of the day. He just, they knew each other, they are good acquaintances, and he still remembers my dad whenever he comes to Sudbury, so they always say hi to each other.
0: That's that's really sweet.
1: Yeah, well, it's like, I, I think they're just, after all, they're all just, you know, a couple of guys. Right. Which I suppose most musicians are, but they don't really seem like they've ever let anything get to their heads. Right. Like, they still have a lot of small, focused songs. They keep their ideas in, uh... They, I, I, they're not like they don't go too grandiose with everything unless they're like talking about the universe but even then that's a different kind of grandiose it's a very internal grandiose right there
0: yeah the uh the uh the infinity of the uh the infinity of within is what the hip specializes
1: yeah exactly Con-
0: contrasting the vastness of the canadian landscape with the vastness of our interior lives
1: yeah so like after after childhood basically uh, I didn't think about them that much. I had like brief stints of time where I only listened to video game music and then brief stints of time where I listened to only They Might Be Giants and nothing else. Um, then I had the opportunity to go see The Hip because they were playing a Canada Day show with Broken Social Scene.
0: That sounds like a good show.
1: It was a very good show, except for Broken Social Scene. They were kind of bad that day. Oh, no. um, and it was at uh, Downsby Park and they didn't play the song Fireworks while the fireworks were going off which I felt like was a missed opportunity. Uh, but they did play music at work while the fireworks were going off, which was fine.
0: That's a good song.
1: It's, yeah, it's, that... it's a good song from outside of what is considered the usual era of essential hip. So yeah. I will go to bat for music at work, the album entirely on strength of music at work, the song.
0: Yeah, it's a great single. I mean, I'm still like, uh, I mean, I, I think I, I like music at work. Okay. As a record, but the music at work, the single is fucking great. That's a great
1: song. We I mean, we need more songs about daytime radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. We need... I mean, Rush also has one, but...
0: Yeah, it's true. Spirit of Radio is basically about that, right?
1: Yeah, so, like, just, there we go. Essential Canadian bands make more songs about radio. Yeah. Everything is bleak. It's the middle of the night.
0: I'm sure there's some ever forgetting just because they're like deep cuts on records we've only glanced. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean I will put that in my list of things to list out. Uh, my experience was basically similar. Uh, class- I was basically weaned on classic rock radio and Canadian classic rock radio, so just the just the hoser hits of the day and yesteryear. So your Trooper, Triumph, April Wine, Rush, BTO. And yeah, the tragically hip. And they were everywhere. And you had pointed this out to to me on a, a private DM exchange on Twitter, that they're on every format. It's not just classic rock. They're on pop radio as well. So popular they are.
1: Literally, the only place they don't end up is urban format, which, like, of course not, because they're a bunch of white guys from Canada.
0: <laughs> right. But yeah, I also had, like, kind of a... I don't know if this says anything about, about people in our age bracket or... People with similar mu- uh, people with our sort of musical tastes, but I had a heavy they might be giants period as well. But the difference between you and I is that all of that classic rock and weird college rock kind of became interwoven. <laughs> so, but there are parallels to be drawn between those two particular groups.
1: Yeah, I'd say so for sure.
0: Mo- mostly the oblique lyricism. Yeah, but uh, they're they're drawing from two very a di- very different like pools of references and uh, I don't consider myself a a a patriotic person but I am kind of enamored with just sort of the ephemera of Canadian culture yeah of course and every bit I could pick every bit I could pick out was was like a revelation to me
1: and I was raised in how do you feel just like knowing that Bob Cajun was a real city that exists in 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 southern Ontario just like when you when you pick out those moments it just you, you, they're point they're painting a very specific portrait.
0: I I must have been thumbing through like an atlas or something or no I was doing like uh, I was I was doing my BA I was doing my BA and I did like a uh, uh, like not like I don't know a research paper or some kind of public speaking thing about the hip and sp- like the specific, uh, specificity of the geography specifically in the Song Bob Cajun because not only does it reference the town but it also reference References like specific events uh, at like a club. There was like a riot or some shit. Yeah. I'm sure I could pull up like the actual the actual thing and like stick it in like show notes or do some follow-up on it. But yeah, I mean there is a, there is a specificity to what they do that is great because things that are specific even if you're not – or at least for me, things that are specific even if they're not directly related to your experiences are more fulfilling.
1: I mean that that's like one of the big tenets of the kind of comedy I enjoy right is that specificity is key if you if you go if you go too broad, then you're not catching anything if you go extremely specific, even if you don't get the reference sometimes just the the minutiae of that the 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 fact that they're painting something for you they're building something for you uh that that catches you a little more than if they just made like general statements about everything, which is like a good amount of music that does that. Right. Which it works for some people, but it doesn't work for, you know, weird nerds like us.
0: Well, now that you mention it, is... Where does the hip exist on the sort of continuum of... Or on the, uh, the, uh, the graph of nerd music and uh, hoser music? Because there is...
1: I mean, uh, nerd music is fake. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, maybe nerd music is not the best nomin- the 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 best word for it, but like uh a music with a certain kind of specificity to it in terms of maybe subject matter in terms of uh in terms of like uh creation arrangements what have you like this is a very specific thing that we're doing versus you know uh versus you know like some fucking you know hosehead music
1: well, I wouldn't even call that like a binary continuum because it's super specificity really works with its hoserness like those those things are intertwined as far as uh how the band operates right cuz you could be like a super canadian band without the specificity um but you can also be both and that's what they do they they basically they they run that full ultra specificity while still like like there's still definitely songs that are first person narrative voice mostly third person narrative voice though mostly. First thing we climb a tree and meet it, then we talk or sit silently and listen to
0: so that's that with our experience of it. Now we're going to try to uh, to place the hip in a broader cultural context as a, uh, as creators of Canadian art or Canadian creators of art, which is two different things. Of course. Now uh, I want to make reference to uh, something that serendipitously was posted today by uh, the Walrus, a uh, great Canadian magazine uh, about the tragically hip and about their place in uh, the greater culture and uh, whether or not we can replace them or whether or not we need to replace them. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is an article by uh, Simon Lewisin. Uh We'll link to it. It's called, Can We Replace the Hip? There might never be another band that speaks on behalf of Canada. That's not a bad thing. And uh, the article is pretty interesting but I do think they, the, the author shortchanges the band. Um, specifically like their later albums uh like their posts has gonna be a fucking fucking hipster thing to say but so their first three records were popular and their fourth and fifth records were good like or like their their best ones which was which were rather uh day for night then phantom power
1: right uh day for night trouble at the hen house then phantom power
0: trouble at the hen house is like the great forgotten one uh, which is uh you might know it as the one with a head by
1: a century on it and what else is on it i have no idea <laughs>
0: So uh, so the author of this piece, I feel short changes the band a little bit. And so here's a, here's a choice nugget that I've uh, picked from the, uh, from the article. Um, it talks about regionalism in rock music, so I'm just going to re- uh, go through this paragraph. It's hard to do regionalism in pop music without sounding corny. Joni Mitchell and Neil Young managed by combining Canadiana folksiness with California Cool. This is debatable, but we shall get to this in a second. Yeah. Local influences often work best when they're understated, evoked formally rather than shouted from the mountains. The hip did this well, occasionally, capturing the strangeness of the northern landscape, which at times became a metaphor for human isolation. Their greatest songs are evocative and unselfconsciously regional. Their dullest songs, however, come off like the rock and roll equivalent of the
1: Heritage Minutes. Ooh, sick burn! I think referring to heritage minutes is the most Canadian way to burn someone.
0: Uh, it might be. It's definitely up there. So uh, with that being said, with uh, the author of this piece, thoroughly burning the hip and how I introduced the third part of our little discussion here on the first episode of the field guide to Canadiana. Um, do you think that the tragically hips Canadianness impedes like their quality, their legacy Uh or is this sort of a matter just of projection? Like, is it so ingrained that they are Canada's band that even the, like that, according to this, even their bad songs are like, like, like lower form, like low end propaganda, which is basically what the Heritage Minutes were.
1: I mean, like their specificity is kind of what gives even the doll songs something to do. Right. Like that like even when their their songs aren't as interesting musically, they can float it with a good story. And I think that's something that's never really hurt them. Generally where they get hurt is going com- like completely it was when there's something that just feels kind of tuneless. It's usually going to be a musical decision that's going to get me. It's going to get my goat, if you will.
0: I remember the drumming in particular not being great on the early records and then getting really really good really really fast.
1: I think they finally just learned how to mix the drums, too. Right. Because they were mixed, like, super high in the center for a while. And, like, it was always just snare and toms. And they, you know, shook it up a little bit. I mean, it's the same drummer, so it's not like that was changing.
0: <laughs> I like the reference to Neil Young, though, uh, in this par- in that earlier paragraph. Because Neil Young, while Canadian, while obviously operating, um, not in not in a similar vein, but definitely in a, in sort of a folks here, uh, especially during his, his California heyday, uh, and reminded me of something a a couple of years ago, he had put out a show that was recorded at Massey hall in, I think 1971, like right before harvest came out. And, uh, he plays journey to the past, which has the line, I'm going back to Canada on a journey to the past and everyone starts whooping and cheering. Oh yeah, that's us, man. And I think that's the point I think that may be the point the person in here is trying to make a bit obliquely, is that it's not so much that the band put a lot of stake in their Canadianness and that kind of sinks a lot of their songs. I think there's something in the Canadian temperament that instinctively goes, Yeah, Canada even when it doesn't necessarily call for it. Like we talked a bit we talked a bit about this off mic where we'll we'll like a thing just because it's Canadian. Or, well, especially like a thing, if it's a Canadian thing that's doing well in America. But, well, especially like a Canadian thing that's doing really well in Canada and nowhere else.
1: Yeah, we just, we really, really latch on to the things that are super important to Canadians. Sometimes even to their detriment when they start getting popular elsewhere. Which is like a really sad way to think of things. But, like, even when something is, like, making fun of or insulting Canada, we're like, oh my god, they mentioned us. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: It's, it's... It's kind of depressing sometimes, honestly. But no, I I do think that that is more a statement of the Canadian temperament than it is uh, a statement on them as a band, because I think they kind of just do their own thing. Like, they they don't seem to let anything get to their heads. They kind of just have been doing their thing consistently for over 30 years. It's just kind of their M.O. at this point.
0: Uh, reading on on this article, this this uh, article actually dedicates a whole paragraph to slaggin'
1: fireworks. I mean, that song does have some kind of. That's the easy one. I like fireworks just oh, because it's like it's a great pop song, but I mean, I'm not going to pretend like some of the lyrics aren't kind of bad.
0: No, I mean, uh, well, let me read this paragraph, uh, if you will, uh, or part of it. The song Fireworks begins, if there's a goal that everyone remembers, it was back in old 72. That's the Paul Henderson goal, obviously.
1: Obviously. And I say
0: this like it's fucking common knowledge, right? And that's part of the problem as this uh, author postulates. Uh, The goal in question was scored by Paul Henderson, clinching the Cold War Summit series for Canada. In a song, a male character falls for a woman and suddenly doesn't care about the game. The giddiness of sports fandom turns into the giddiness of puppy love. It's a nice conceit but it's supported by irritating stereotypes. The female character says that she doesn't give a fuck about hockey, and the man responds, I never saw someone say that before. This is the Canada of self-satisfied Molson commercials. (laughs) One nation under hockey. It's a folksy myth, one that many Canadians, uh, those who like basketball, say, or prefer dance hall over white guy rock and roll, may not recognize themselves in. Inevitably, Canada's band skewered towards a specific demographic. Anglophone, white, and partial to flannel shirts.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, we're getting into the demographic question. Like, As far as being Canada- like Canada's band and being a band of a bunch of white guys who are, what, in their 50s now? Gotta be. They've got to all be in their 50s now because they're roughly my dad's age. So I can understand where they're going with that, but I mean, I think that, that the, one thing that the article begins to postulate later on is that maybe we don't need... A defining band and that's definitely true they've been canada's defining band for so long but that's not necessarily something that even works anymore because i mean i'm not white
0: <laughs> and i'm not and d- despite my despite uh, my proficiency in the language i'm not an anglophone
1: <laughs> yeah exactly so like i mean we could get into the whole argument that a culture doesn't necessarily need like, I guess a cultural icon doesn't necessarily need to be broadly representative, but that's always uh, a dangerous, slippery slope to go down right. that ends up, uh, honestly, usually just ends up at neo-Nazis, like every time. <laughs> um. So... I don't know, it's like the, the the sunset of the tragically hip is basically where we're at now.
0: Basically, I mean, we're definitely closer to the end than we are to the beginning, sadly. Um, I mean, if we get down to brass tacks, the Tragically Hip may be the most – I mean, th- this invites all kinds of questions about what, is, what makes something the most Canadian.
1: I mean, I because, feel like that's, that's something that we're not going to answer in one episode of this show.
0: <laughs> no, this is a long-term project.
1: Determining what Canada is
0: uh, and, and you know I hate, I hate to spoil uh, Us early on but I don't think even if This this podcast has a, a Long healthy run I don't think we'll get to the bottom of it
1: No there's too much to go on
0: If the Tragically Hip are Canada's Band I think that's a product of our of Like that's a product of the Canadian temperament of our culture Sort of handing them the crown This is not something they sought
1: No definitely not
0: and um, uh, the article goes on to sort of uh, uh, to say uh, that's not to say that pop musicians aren't interested in where they're from, uh, referencing uh, Quebec chanson for arcade uh, on Arcade Fire records, uh, Drake's producer Tanya Tagak, and all of these bands are Canadian in their own way, right? I mean, and I mean I'm not I'm not I'm not a Draco file, but. I I hesitate to think of an artist who so like fetishizes the city of Toronto.
1: Yeah, and then also like you know he's a mixed black and Jewish man, right? And like that 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 brings you a lot of different places as far as like as, as far as a cultural conversation goes. You have a lot more that represents a lot more different things than a band of five white guys. <laughs> uh
0: yes, um but I think as far as um. I think, as far as cultural specificity goes, I mean, all the artists that that I've mentioned here, or that the, the this article mentions here, are pretty much on par with the hip, if only because, well, also they don't have this kind of longevity yet. I mean, most of these uh, uh, these acts have released a, a few albums, definitely not thirteen.
1: No, nowhere near.
0: So now it becomes a. Uh, So yes, I think we can agree that that the concept of the Tragically Hip as Canada's band is at the very least faulty. But it does represent a sort of specific facet of Canadian-ness, and not because it's five white guys from Kingston. It's – I hesitate to use the term literary, but I will use the term. It's like an almanac.
1: Yeah, like a Canadian, almost like, well, yeah, primarily rural Canadian almanac. Like, that does speak to a broad set of experiences, and I think the reason why it caught they caught on so well, other than the fact that uh, CanCon guidelines say that you have to play a minimum of 35% Canadian music at all times by the that's hour. A of,
0: that's a lot of Canadian songs. <laughs>
1: that's a lot of Canadian songs, and it ended up being the hip a lot of the time uh, when, like, you know, early early to mid to late 80s, there was a lot of american and british imports and uh, the hip was the thing that played in between them all
0: yeah this was like sort of like it was the hip because rush was in a fallow period
1: yeah basically <laughs> uh,
0: a fallow period which they uh which they uh, recuperated from thankfully but we'll save that for our rush episode which we'll inevitably have
1: oh yes of course
0: the hip have 50 plus singles
1: out there? It'd be easier to stick so, with albums, honestly. Um, okay. But I mean, if we're going to go with singles, I mean, like as far as compilation albums go, your favorites. Your favorites is probably the way to go. It's it's such a good way to start, and if you get curious about any of the songs on it, you can just check what albums they all came from.
0: Um, well, my favorite hip record
1: is uh it's Phantom Power. It's, it's it's mine too. Like it's it's like the classic hip albums have their own thing going for them, but like just this is their this was their pop record. It, and um, it really worked for them.
0: It's yeah, it's it has a bunch of really great songs on it. Uh the that's the one with the uh, poets is on it. Fireworks is on it. Uh, and one of the best album cuts they have that they didn't release as a, as a single Escape is at Hand for the Traveling Man is on that record.
1: Yeah. Bob Cajun's on that record.
0: Bob Cajun's on that record.
1: Something Something On's on that record.
0: Something On's on that record. If you want to go a little deeper, though, um, I would recommend going and listening to their most popular record, which is Fully Completely, which has a Courage on it. It's got uh, at, at the Hundredth Marine, I believe, is on yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, it's got a ton of great. I mean,
1: songs if you're out. going with if you're going with early stuff, um, you couldn't go wrong with fully complete me co- fully completely or with Road Apples. Like those are probably the best of the the best two of the early records.
0: Yeah, Road Apples is really underrated. Um, and if you're co- uh, going to listen to a sort of a later period, um, uh, a later period hip record, uh, the last one's pretty good. Man Machine Poem.
1: Yeah, like uh, we didn't really talk about it very much. No, <laughs> we, we we even listened. We both listened to it today to like kind of prepare for it. But I mean, like the first song on the album is like, and the title of the album itself is explicitly referencing Craftwork, so that's a good place to start.
0: Yeah, the as a especially after especially in the twenty first twenty first century hip albums tend to be a lot more sort of like abstracted like uh the guitars seem to like just go on forever and there's like some weird experimentation here and there with sounds uh, it's still meat and potatoes rock and roll but it, it's pretty interesting to consider when you know that their first few albums are basically straight like you know barroom rock and roll and folk rock
1: yeah and their their lyrics are less straightforward stories than they used to be like there's a lot more i don't know impressionistic stuff working in like the mar- like just working in ideas more than anything else and you you can't help but see that in man machine poem there is a bit of grappling with you know the finality of death in there a little bit
0: oh the specter of death is fucking all over that record jesus fucking and the, Christ. just
1: like the fragility of of life is that that's why he starts talking about machines so much like you could really really feel it so yeah, definitely I'd say check out the new album. That's like if you're going
0: New Records really good.
1: Um so we're we got your favorites, we got Road Apples, we got Fully Completely, we got Phantom Power. That's those four are probably like good enough to go with.
0: I think that's a good primer like for like uh modern hip, classic hip and uh just and general and like gen- general critical consensus fave hip. Yeah. So if- that's a pretty good instant Tragically Hip collection. And um, and yeah, their last show presumably is in August in their hometown of Kingston. The CBC is going to be broadcasting on every conceivable channel they have. So I'm going to record that shit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to watch and record it. I'm assuming they're going to make a DVD of it too.
0: Oh, probably. Most likely. It
1: would be stupid not to.
0: It would be very dumb not to. Um, so we don't know what we're talking about for episode two.
1: Nor do we have any questions from anyone, which is another thing we could probably gather for future episodes.
0: Yeah, and uh, Canadians listening, we want to hear your suggestions, but we especially want to hear about non. We especially want to hear from non-Canadians who might have an inkling of knowledge about a thing that they know is Canadian but know very little about it, and give us the task of extrapolating that stuff. It could be anything. It could be food. It could be a TV uh, could be a person, uh, a politician, uh, anything. It could be anything. It could from... be
1: literally the Canadian accent, which is an ap- episode we're one hundred percent going to end up doing at one point.
0: Yeah, it could be anything from the Nymo the Nymo bars to fucking Tim Hortons to Telefrance to anything.
1: Just lay it on us. We'll look into it, and uh, if appropriate, get a guest on for it.
0: Okay, so. Um... I guess you can get on, uh, if you have any uh, topic suggestions, you could get in contact with us via Twitter.
1: Yeah, Twitter's our best bet. So uh,
0: I'm on Twitter at Derek underscore G.
1: I'm on Twitter at Matt GCN. And
0: we got a fuckload of other projects between the both of us. And uh, you want to plug anything, Matt? <laughs> Do you
1: want to- I'll, I can plug my other podcast, which I'm currently mixing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Do you like Pokemon? If you do, listen to my podcast. If you don't, well, then don't listen to it. It's not going to make any goddamn sense if you don't. It's called Elite Full Restore, and it's going to be hosted the exact same place that this podcast is, which is on a website that doesn't have a domain yet, so I'm not going to link it.
0: Uh, But uh, but you can subscribe to this podcast with your podcatcher of choice. I've got I've got it on my phone. I listened to the first episode; it's dope. Even though I am a complete Poke dunce,
1: you learn things. You learn things. You learn things. Um, This 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 show, by the way, will be on iTunes and Google Play because I know how to do that. Really low stress now. Uh, Yeah, and
0: well, it'll it'll likely be on other podcatchers. I know I use uh, Pocket Casts, and that's I mean everything. I get everything that I need. So uh, so yeah, you'll be able to find us, no problem. Uh, I do a bunch of different shit. <laughs> uh, most of my shit is uh, related to a little website called Dim the House Lights. It's film criticism. It's me and my buddy, one Barkeen, who runs this. You can check all, all our stuff at dimthehouselights.com. My personal portfolio is at montrealschlockcity.com. That's where like articles and whatnot go. And if you're into podcasting, you can go back and check out season one of Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast I do with my buddy Juan Barcain from the, uh, from them, the House Lights. We watch a movie with a 50% Rotten Tomatoes score and we see on what side of the uh, critical consensus we fall on. Because, you know, a movie with 50% means that half the critics liked it and half the critics didn't. And uh, there's lots of shows about the movies that are great and lots of shows about movies that are, like, just terrible. We got a movie – we got a show about movies in the middle – uh, right now we're on a hiatus, but we're gonna be coming back in August with our first episode of season two. It's gonna be on John Woo's Hard Target, and it's gonna be dope.
1: Nice. All right, so that's it for this week.
0: Thanks for joining
1: us. So see y'all when we figure it out.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Have a good one, everyone. Sure
1: I was here.